0: One year when I was on beach mission and up there we got a photo from day set-up day. Uh, we were putting up tents and things like that. Later on in the day, I was walking around the holiday park and there were a few younger teenagers riding their bikes around the caravan park. They were calling out, go back to where you came from, churchies. Now, I have to admit that I'm pretty sure my response to that was to have a bit of a laugh. It was hardly a threat. It was barely an insult. In fact, I think the saddest thing about it was that they'd appropriated a racist type of language to use. That was much worse than that they were teasing the beach mission team. Uh, Throughout history and around the world, though, many Christians have faced much harsher insults and not just verbal but physical attacks because of their faith in Jesus. Uh, This week, as we've heard, the news from Afghanistan I trust as we've heard this news, we've felt pangs of grief for what this will likely mean for our, for Christians. And it won't be silly taunts from teenage boys. How are Christians to respond to attacks and persecution? Does it mean God's not in control? Does it mean He doesn't love us? That we've done something wrong? For a long time in Australia and feeling under attack as a Christian has been abstract and theoretical. Now Australian culture has never been kind to people who take faith in Jesus seriously, as I mentioned probably about a month ago, the first church in a want churches here. We're used to being scoffed at for our faith, thought of as gullible or ignorant, maybe this more a killjoy. But there is a sense that the way that the cultural winds are blowing, that now uh, some people think Christian beliefs are dangerous or evil. Uh, Christians aren't quaint. We're the bad guys. And so possibly, hearing or being attacked for following Jesus, the way cultural winds are blowing, uh, it seems this could become a bigger reality for Australian Christians. And so it's good for us to be hearing from 1 Peter today because in 1 Peter, God prepares us for suffering and persecution. Because facing the heat of persecution be a surprise. It shouldn't be, but often it is. And it was the same back in 1st century Asia Minor. So have a look at verse 12. This is 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. Uh, dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something were happening to you. Uh, why is the fiery ordeal of attacks and persecution, why would it be a surprise? I think it's because many of us have picked up a basically pagan view of the world. In pagan religion, if you make the gods happy, everything will go well. You get the gods on your side, then your crops will grow. Your animals will sell for a good price. We assume you get your religion right, then everything else will be sweet. And Christians, well, we've got our religion right, haven't we? We trust in and worship the God who created all things, the one who the resurrection of Jesus. And then suffering comes and we suffer. And we're surprised. Why is this happening? I've got my religion right. But all the way through 1 Peter, one of the big things in suffering, uh, in chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, it says, In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. So there you are, Christians are people who rejoice in trials because our hope is not in this life, but in eternity with Christ. And in chapter 2, we read that just as Christ suffered unjustly but didn't retaliate, we're called to follow Jesus in the same way. So this is 1 Peter two twenty-one to twenty. Listen. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And there's plenty of other things we've already heard about suffering in 1 Peter. But you hear things like this and it's easy to be academic Jesus is our example through suffering. Why do we expect anything else? And you go, yep. But then you're struck down by chronic pain or you have to quit your job because the boss expects you to lie to customers and because you follow Jesus, you won't do that. And as you anxiously lie awake at night, you wonder, how could God allow all this? Suffering surprises us. Or maybe it's not the suffering itself, we go, okay, I should expect it, but then the way we respond when it comes, that surprises us because we like to think that we're strong. Before pain comes into our life, us for six, how can we not be surprised by suffering? The answer God gives is that where to see our suffering as connected with Christ. Our suffering is connected with Christ's. So verse 13. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. You think about suffering from the perspective of the world. So during his earthly ministry, the world hated Jesus, didn't like what he was on about, had him crucified. And so the logic goes, well, if you follow Jesus, expect the same response because the world hasn't changed. They hated Jesus, they'll hate his people, and that's true. But this verse doesn't say that. Did you notice that? It flips that idea on its head. Christians don't only suffer because that's what the world is like. Christians suffer because that's what it is like. We share, we participate in Christ's suffering. And that sounds really strange, doesn't it? What does it mean and how could it be good news? Because at the core of our being, at the very least, at the core of our 21st century Australian being is to avoid suffering and hardship, our homes and workplaces are full of labour-saving devices. And although we recognise much of our grumbling is about first world problems, nevertheless, when any slight hardship comes, we grumble and complain and protest and whinge. And then here, across our most deeply loved and held values, is Jesus. Jesus. Jesus who calls us to participate in his suffering with rejoicing. Uh, in Philippians, we read of Paul's great goal in life. This is number one on his bucket list. I wonder whether we would say yes to this. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. We might like the sound of power, but participation in sufferings? I'll pass on that. But this is what the Bible says comes united to Christ by faith. When we trust in Jesus by the Spirit, we are united to him. He takes our sin and shame. We receive his righteousness and holiness. His story becomes our story. His story of rejection and suffering to death on the cross, that's our story too. His story of resurrection and reigning in glory, that's our story too. The spirit that empowered Jesus in his life and ministry, when we suffer for Christ When we suffer with Christ, his spirit is working in and resting on us. It's all part of the one story. And so when we suffer with Christ, when we suffer as a Christian, we can rejoice not in the suffering itself, but that we are united to him and participating in his suffering. And so don't be surprised. This is what you signed up for. If you are a Christian, this is what you signed up for, participating in the glory and suffering of Christ. But this doesn't mean that all suffering we face. It doesn't mean just because you're a Christian that all suffering you face is participating in Christ's suffering. We might be insulted because of Jesus. Or we might be insulted because... And we need to learn the difference. Verse 15. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a th- criminal or even as a meddler. However... If you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. Uh, Verse 15 is a great diagnostic tool. Imagine your suffering. Uh, For some of us, we don't have to imagine because we're going through it right now. Uh, You're being called judgmental, a bigot, hurting people. And so you look at the list and you go, well, I haven't murdered anyone, so that's good. I haven't stopped, I haven't been doing any evil, and yet people are still against me. And so you look at verse 15 and think, oh, well, that's good. I must be suffering as a Christian. I must be participating in the sufferings of Christ. And then you get to the end of the sentence. Even as a meddler. Other translations go for busybody. And that causes us to think again. Uh, There is nothing to be said, no benefit, no blessing, no glory for sticking your nose. Uh, Back in chapter 3, we heard how a gentle and quiet spirit is true beauty. And that was in the context of a believing wife and an unbelieving husband. Being a busybody isn't beautiful. It's not gentle or quiet. God hasn't called us to be the moral police of our neighbourhood. If people are angry at you because you keep telling them how to live, when it's no business of yours, that's not participating in the sufferings of Christ, that's meddling. Now, you can take this the wrong way. When we talk to people about Jesus, when we give an answer for our hope in Christ, we're going to talk about sin and call people to repentance. But there's a difference between proclaiming Christ, which involves calling people to repent, there's a difference between that and being the moral police. Forcing people to live like Christians when they don't love Jesus. If you're suffering the scorn of the world because you're a murderer or a meddler, there's nothing good about that. But if you're suffering for being Christian, for trusting in Jesus and living out what it means to know him as Lord, then your suffering is his suffering and there's no shame in that, at least before God. In some parts of the world, the hordes will show up at your door and the question will be, are you a Christian? Do you believe Jesus, that he died and rose again? And if you say yes, they'll get you. That's suffering as a Christian because you bear the name of Christ. Now, in Australia, it's unlikely the hordes will come on your door asking, do you believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God? That's not likely where suffering will come from, from your pet. It's more likely to come about at work uh, when you're asked to affirm and celebrate sexual activity that goes against God's design. Or your family asks you to lie to get Centrelink benefits. And when you say no, you're not being a busybody, you're not getting involved in their affairs, but yourself living rightly before God. And they know you're a Christian there will be consequences. That's more likely the ball we'll have to face, where we'll have to say yes to Jesus as Lord and no to the easy way out. The question for us is: Are you willing to do this? When this happened and the Bible when it happens, will you be surprised? Will you wonder what God's doing? Why is he allowing suffering, especially his children, to suffer? These are the questions we'll ask. Which is why we need to hear what God says in 1 Peter. We've already heard suffering comes because we're united to Christ. We are participating in his suffering. Suffering also comes... As part of living in the last days. So if you just glance up your page to verse 7, we're told, the end of all things is near. Therefore be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Well if this is the case, if, if this is the last times that the end is near, then it's time for God's judgment. Verse 17. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will be the godly and the sinner? Now what does this mean? Especially that proverb there, that last, that second verse is a, a quote from Proverbs. The Old Testament prophets talk about God's judgment coming and they say, when God comes in judgment, it will start with the people of God. It'll start at the centre of God's people, the temple, the house of God. Uh, now, one example of this is Ezekiel 9. This for us, it is a graphic vision. Uh, I'm actually not gone. If you want to get your stomach really churning, keep reading this chapter. But even what I'm going to read is graphic, so please brace yourself. This is Ezekiel 9, which says... Now the glory of, God, glory of the God of Israel went up from above the cherubim, that's the angels, where it had been, and moved to the threshold of the temple. Then the Lord called to the men in linen, who had the riding kit at his side, and said to him, Go throughout the city of Jerusalem and put a mark on the foreheads of those who grieve and lament over all things that are done in it. As I listened, he said to the others, Follow him through the city and kill without showing compassion. Sorry, without showing pity or compassion. Slaughter the old men, the young men and women, the mothers and children, but do not touch anyone who has the mark. Begin at my sanctuary. So they began with the old men who were in front of the temple. So what's the story? What's happening in this vision? It's a vision of salvation. And judgment, a mark is put on the forehead of everyone who's mourning over sin. If they're grieved by idolatry and corruption, they get this mark, a letter written on their forehead, and those ones are saved. But everyone else faces the punishment of God. And where did judgment begin? The temple. Why the temple? Because in Ezekiel's day, the priests, the Levites, the religion of Israel centered at the temple and it had become corrupted. God's judgment begins at the temple with those who claim to be servants of God. Peter is grabbing this picture and he's applying it to the suffering of Christians in his day and in our day. He's saying, suffering, persecution, all these things you're facing, it's the beginning of God's judgment. Not judgment of condemnation, but of It's a testing, a fiery trial purifying God's house. And suffering does this, doesn't it? It purifies. It shows the genuineness of faith. It's like the parable of the soils. Some of the seed fell on rocky ground. And at first that seed sprouts and grows, but the execution comes and it dies. It proves that it wasn't the good soil. And you've probably seen this happen. And let's pray for those people that God breaks up the rock and makes the seed sprout again. But the point Peter's making is the suffering, the persecution and insult Christians face. It's just the beginning because the end of all things is near. God's judgment is beginning now. It's beginning at the temple with us, the living stones, the house of God. And if it's this hard for God's children, just imagine what God's judgment of cond- and For those here today. And you're not trusting in Jesus. And maybe the reality of suffering has raised questions of you. Maybe wondering why Christians would trust God even when they suffer. Maybe wondering why there's suffering in this world if God is good. Now, we haven't answered all those questions. But I hope you've seen that the Bible is realistic about suffering. And it raises the warning. Suffering shows our world is broken and it's a warning of God's judgment that the only way to escape God's judgment of condemnation is found in Jesus so what should we do but you're a believer or not for God for suffering how should we respond in the midst of suffering trust God And do what is right. Verse 19. So then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. This is a difficult sentence. How did you feel? How did you feel when you hear those words suffer according to God's will? Does this make you question whether you can trust God? Surely it would be better if the suffering was outside God's will, that it was because Satan had the upper hand or the world had the upper hand. No. If suffering was outside of God's control, we'd have no hope. No hope because it would mean that God is less than God, that he's not truly in control. It would mean God isn't powerful and able to keep his promises that yes, God had made promises, but they would just be wishful thinking, nice ideas. But you couldn't say that God's promises would never perish, spoil or fade. It would be meaningless to be told that we're being through faith, shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. If suffering isn't according to God's will, if he's not in control, then all hope is gone. But if God is our faithful creator, if he's powerful to keep his promises to Israel, to bring about his judgment as he said he would, beginning with the house of God, if he's able to raise the Lord Jesus who suffered on the cross for us, if he can his promise to raise Christ from the dead, then we can entrust ourselves to him no matter what comes. Brothers and sisters, suffer for Christ will come. Insults, abuse, attacks. Don't be surprised. Be prepared. Trust God and continue to do what is good. Let's pray. Father God, we praise you for Jesus that he suffered and died for us, that we might share both in his sufferings and his glory. Please strengthen and comfort us. Help us be prepared for times we'll have to suffer for the name of Christ. Help us to be changed by Jesus, living for righteousness. May we do nothing that brings shame, shame to the name of Christ, suffering for murder, doing evil, or even meddling. Help us live quiet and gentle lives. And also make us strong that when the time of testing comes, your spirit will rest on us, empowering us to trust in you and continue to do good, no matter the cost. Amen.